Hey everybody, I'm Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Griffiths, Director of Insights at Level 2. Level 2's mission is remission for people with type 2 diabetes. Level 2 is an all-new personalized digital care experience complete with coaching and clinical care. And informed by the latest in diabetes technology, wearables. With real-time information on how food, movement, stress, and sleep all impact glucose levels, Level 2 helps people make small changes for big impact. I know that sounded like a little bit of an infomercial, so I do apologize. I'm not trying to sell you Level 2. I do feel like it is important, though, for you to level set with what the business does. I think many of you may not be familiar. Prior to joining Level 2, Stephen has been in many big companies. I think all of you know him as the host of Digging for Insights. Stephen, welcome to the show. Great, Jamin. Great to be here. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their role to Michigan State's marketing research program. Are you looking for higher pay to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of marketing research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought-after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted jobs six months prior to graduating. The program has three formats. The first is a full-time, 100% online program that is taught over 12 months. It starts in January 2022. The second is a part-time 100% online program. It lasts 20 months, and it starts in May 2022. It's specifically designed for working professionals. And of course, they offer a full-time 12-month in-person experience that starts in September 2022. All programs include real-world experience with full-time job placement support. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. That's broad.msu.edu slash marketing. It costs nothing to get more details. Take the time. Invest in yourself. You are worth it. Class sizes are limited, so please check them out today. This episode is brought to you by Momentive. You may have heard that SurveyMonkey's parent company recently rebranded as Momentive, a leader in agile insights and experience management. The Momentive AI-powered insights platform is built for the pace of modern business so you can deeply understand your market, elevate your brand, and build winning products faster. Momentive offers 22 purpose-built market research solutions that incorporate an AI engine, built-in expertise, sophisticated methodologies, and an integrated global panel of over 144 million people to deliver meaningful insights in hours, not months. Momentum also has a team of market research consultants that can take on anything from research design to custom reporting as needed. So you can spend more time shaping what's next for your organization. To learn more, visit Momentive.ai. That's M-O-M-E-N-T-I-V-E dot A-I. So let's start with the context. Tell us about your parents and how they informed what you do today. Sure. So my dad was a U.S. diplomat working in the Foreign Service. And I'd say the two main things that I learned from him was one, this eagerness for analysis. You know, he worked in helping 
create economic policies for the U.S. government, as well as understanding the political agenda. And so he would do everything from talking to people on the street to negotiating to looking at economic data. And so this ability of his to sort of put it all together and making recommendations for what the embassy or the consulate should do and what the U.S. government should do for policymakers um, was a big part of what he did. And I it took me a while to realize that I think I have some of that as well. I love taking dis different disparate pieces of data. How do we analyze those, understand the bias, and then make recommendations that matter? I'd say the second part is, you know, I'm also interested in international things. And I think this, this focus in um, different perspectives. My dad was always thinking about, you know, this is how people view things in the Thai culture or in China or you know, in other places. And that curiosity about why people think, why people make the decisions they do has influenced my decision to um, work in marketing research. You know, my mom was a, a stay-at-home mom and uh, she was very busy as I think all stay-at-home moms are. She specifically I did a, a couple things, was always trying to learn and improve. And so she always had like a book on tape. Um, I remember one time getting into a car in uh, high school and I think she left on some tape about like antelopes in the wild or something like that. <laughs> so I'm this like awkward teenager who's like taking a couple new friends. Like once I got my driver's license and I turn on the car and there's like the antelopes in the wild gently move across <laughs> <laughs> my friends were all looking at me like, what do you listen to, Stephen? <laughs> but that was my mom. She just learned things all the time and had lots of ways to do that. And that's something I really learned from her is the curiosity about the world and always wanting to learn. And she did a great job of keeping in touch with friends and family, even though she lived overseas a lot. And I, I have that as well. I enjoy keeping in touch with people. And that's meant a lot for the podcast as well. And you lived overseas for a little while in Beijing, right, as the press and cultural affairs assistant to the U.S. Embassy. I did, yeah. So I uh, worked in the U.S. Embassy in Beijing uh, during one of my summer internships in, during college. So yeah, I had a chance to live in Asia quite a bit, which is a great experience. You really started in market research at Nielsen, working in the Basies area, and then you transferred to Procter & Gamble. Why did you decide to go client-side? Yeah, so taking a step back, I actually fell into marketing research even before that. So in high school, I was a mall interviewer. So they don't have them as often anymore, but you know that annoying guy that's in the mall with a clipboard that's like, please, can you answer a survey? Please answer a survey. And uh, so I did that as an hourly uh, job in high school. And then, you're exactly right, during actually uh, my time in Thailand, I worked for General Motors in Thailand and did market research for them as well, more um, office desk research. And then, right, worked at Nielsen, supplier side, and then switched to uh, P&G. At the time, I specifically left Nielsen to get an MBA because I wanted to do client side experience uh, and get that, uh, do that kind of research. I loved presenting as sort of the classic uh, consultant's dilemma, right? I really enjoyed doing the research, analyzing it, coming up with the recommendations. But so often you hand off a piece of research to someone and you don't know what happens to it, right? Either they act on it or they don't, and you don't really know why. And so I really wanted to make not just deliver research, but really see it to implementation. And so that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to switch to uh, client side, which I've you know pretty much stuck with since then. Yeah, of course. And before level two, Global Consumer Insights for Cheerios, my one of my favorite brands, breakfast brands. <laughs> well, Cheerios would love to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's part of our rich, our household ritual, which is 
it was kind of a funny thing. Oh yeah, it was really fun. So yeah, I spent six years at General Mills and doing lots of different things. So at some large companies, you get to do rotations. So mm -hmm. I did like analytics for snack bars like Nature Valley and Lara Bar and Fiber One Bar. Then was on a convenience food service. I helped launch the Pillsbury stuffed waffle. So imagine like a breakfast sandwich encased in a waffle, maple infused waffle that sold warm at 7-Eleven. So that's yeah. what um, I launched there. And then I spent my last time here exactly right at Cheerios on the breakfast desk, also working on uh, new innovation. So it was just really fun to touch a lot of parts of the business and get some great experiences and really enjoyed my time at General Mills. Yeah, for sure. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about podcasting, which you and I, of course, on, even before we hit record, started talking about podcasting. Digging for insights. Tell us, why did you start the show? Yeah. So, you know, it was about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, when basically I just remember getting into podcasts and realizing there weren't a lot of people talking about market research topics. I think you were the only podcast that I knew of at the time who was talking about it. And I thought, you know, I'd love to have someone who has more of a, a client side perspective. And I bet there's others who would appreciate that perspective as well. And so, you know, it's really three reasons that it came down for me. One was to give back. I you know, was unemployed right after I got out of um, undergrad during the Great Recession. Would love to have had podcasts to listen to, to understand and explore different careers. And so I wanted to give back in that way. And then I also really like to learn. And sometimes the best way to get a hold of someone to chat is, you know, by doing a podcast episode with them. And I say the third part is, you know, connecting that I think there's, it's a small world within marketing research and having another opportunity to connect with others is, is really important to me. Do you have, I'm not saying a favorite guest, but do you have like a standout guest that you'd like to highlight? Ooh, it's hard to pick a favorite. There's a lot of really good guests I've had. Um, one, I really did enjoy um, talking to Rohir Verhust. So he's the head of marketing research at LinkedIn and also um, authored a book. And it's just really cool. He shared this experience of leaving marketing research to do uh, a different kind of role and then coming back into a leadership role in order to, um, at which, you know, and then he's obviously the head of marketing research, so he's been very successful there. But just this idea of like being open to flex your career and follow your passions and not feeling like you always have to consistently climb the ladder with every role, I thought was really impressive. Rohair was my first client side interview on the Happy Market Research podcast. <laughs> no way. I'm I didn't very, realize that. That's yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm very thankful for him. So we're coming out of a time where we've had to basically shelter in place, right? So even things like basic things like going to the grocery store were very limited. What are you taking out of that time that you will carry forward in either your career or personal life? Yeah, I mean, that was a trying time for everyone, right? You know, I'd say for me, I had uh, little kids and was trying to school at home as well on top of work as many others did. It was very, very trying. You know, I feel like what I learned from that opportunity was one, how good it is to better connect with your kids. We had a lot more like at home time with uh, kids and family, which is great. Um, I also think there's downsides to that and not having some separation <laughs> that you might normally want and can get overwhelming at times. But, you know, just getting closer to, to, to kids and to family, I think was one thing I realized. The second piece I'd say was this opportunity to do more work-life integration. You know, it's interesting you know, working at General Mills at the time, we often didn't typically use video in a lot of our um, calls. And so I think there's a lot of folks who, you know, maybe if they join on a Teams call or a Skype call, maybe it's just audio is a little bit awkward to like turn on your camera, right? And so I think getting to the point where that's normalized and that's the, the way to move forward um, has allowed uh, me to have a lot more flexibility to still 
you know, have a, a busy home life, but also be able to be at the meetings, show up and be present um, regardless of where I am. And so I'd say that's one of the sort of this work-life flexibility is a big lesson I've learned from the epidemic. Yeah. It used to be the case pre-COVID that like in a video conference, you're, they're only the weirdos shared their video. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and there was this like social pressure. If one person didn't, then everybody else would slowly turn off their cameras. And now it's the opposite. It's like, if you're not sharing your video, you know, you're apologizing to everybody else on the, on the call. It's totally different norms than it was before. You're exactly right. The theme that we're talking about in this particular series are trends in marketing research. So you've had, you know, client side, agency side experience across the board, right? From the production line of insights into, I mean, quite literally in the data collection, given that you're, uh, you know, doing in-mall intercepts, um, to the analysis, to the uh, uh, report writing. So from your vantage point today, what are some of the most common methodologies that are used? Yeah, happy to, to think about that a little bit. You know, it's been neat seeing research across different clients. So at, at Nielsen, I worked with 10 different, mostly Fortune 500 clients, um, mostly consumer goods space, you know, and then P&G and then General Motors or uh, General Motors um, during college, General Mills the last six years. And then, um, you know, now United Health Group and a startup within that, which is level two, as you've mentioned. And it's been neat seeing, I, I feel like research hasn't, corporate research hasn't shifted that much over the time that I've seen it. I think in terms of trends, I do see a trend towards sort of two different streams of work. One is foundational. And I think when you think of foundational, that's more traditional, big ticket items, you know, that, you know, think of like a segmentation or a market structure, um, you know, things of, of that nature that, that matter a lot. And then you also have the second stream of work, which is more sort of ad hoc questions that come up. And I'm seeing a lot more do-it-yourself solutions within that ad hoc space. So maybe in the past you would say, oh, I want to learn, you know, my business has this question about our target consumer. We want to ask a handful of questions. Then maybe you'd reach out to a vendor who then creates a survey for you. You do a few, uh, rounds back and forth and maybe you know two three weeks later you field it a week of fielding and then you get results back like a month later that that was the older way of, of doing things and i think we're finding that that ad hoc space is really being revolutionized right now and so you have solutions where um you know you're asking a question in one day you're getting results back overnight in some cases or in a couple days and very quickly you're getting results back at least within a week if not faster and so i think and the uh, the ability to do that means they're also taking out um, a lot of um, some of the complexity so this idea of uh, you know you can go into a platform and as a corporate researcher write your own questions and field it yourself and find a target audience and launch that quickly um, i definitely think is a, a trend that we're seeing for sure so the platforms clearly have democratized like the research ops part of things, right? So, and let's be honest, you knew how to do research ops in your first one year in the space, right? I mean, you understood the whole kind of life cycle of data beyond just the, the simplification of the processes. What are like the types of research that are being done? Meaning like the, the actual, like, is it ANU? Is it ad testing? When you talk about quick turn, is there specific types of projects that are being done more than others? 
For sure. Yeah. So I can give a little more detail on those I mentioned earlier. So like the foundational ones, I still see those happening all the time. So typically any company of any size, if they're doing like meaningful segmentation or market structure or, you know, like an ANU, as you talked about, so attitudes and usage study. Um, So I remember one client that I worked with, they did a really big study on how people are using their products. And they found um, that over time, some people like the technology had changed. And so how people were using the uh, product had actually evolved. And so that this was a cleaning product, it didn't clean as well as it used to. And so they discovered that no one was overtly saying, hey, this isn't working as well. But as they're tracking these um, sort of foundational usage things over time, they recognize this and they came up with an entire new product line that was you know, very successful in market. And so for me, that's still out there. Like you're going to pay a researcher, a research company, good money to do those sort of foundational studies. I don't see those being democratized, revolutionized as much as other things. Um, I'd say with the new things, everything is being revolutionized. So if you think about um, idea screening, concept testing kinds of things, which is super interesting as you've you know, probably followed um, in the uh, conference space, the conference circuit, but uh, PepsiCo has done a lot of presentations about how they've streamlined things. And specifically, they moved away from an outside vendor to do their concept testing to doing it internally and using a vendor that basically have a streamlined short survey and they're using their own internal benchmarks to do the analysis. And so I think they said like, you know, three, four days after fielding, they can get results back, which is way faster than traditional concept testing. And so I think that's a place that's being revolutionized for sure. Um, Other ad hoc questions. So I also see a lot of like IDIs. So one-on-one interviews, especially video with people is big. So whether it's, you know, trying to identify someone in a specific. So I remember, um, you know, you've probably read this online, but um, P&G's a Gillette brand, you know, whereas for a while, um, and I'm not sure if they still do this, but they would actually identify these points of time and life stage when you're most likely to use their products. And so they would say, hey, guys, usually when they're graduating high school or going to college, this is the time for them to try out a new shaver. And so for a while, they would actually mail really nice, expensive Gillette shavers to um, guys who were just graduating high school, I think around their 18th birthday, something like that. So imagine you're getting this like really nice shaver in the mail, like, oh, I I guess I should like use this, give it a try, right? (laughs) Um, And so, um, so like for situations like that, where whatever company is trying to understand a specific group of consumers, that's where you might have this ad hoc. And so um, a lot of, in terms of, well, how do I understand them better? They might schedule, you know, half a dozen one-on-one interviews to reach specifically, if it were that case, um, you know, 18-year-olds who are about to have a birthday coming up and what their thoughts are regarding facial hair and what trimmers they'd like to use and how they would use it. And you could even on the call, like show the the shaver and things like that. And, you know, I have no idea if that actually happened, but that's the kind of uh, usage case that companies would do to have those those IDIs with um, their target members. Um, Besides that's being revolutionized. It used to be two weeks of recruiting. You have a separate company that like gets recruiting people and then you talk to them two weeks later. I think there's a lot of other um, technologies now that allow that much faster where, hey, you know, you a couple days you can identify someone, you can choose who you identify and screen and then talk to them within the week. And I think that's probably the way of the future. Um, And I'd say the, the last little piece is more in terms of, you know, short term surveys. You know, survey research is is not the end all be all, right? There's a lot of behavior that does not match up with what people say on a survey. But survey research, I think, is probably still here to say it is an important element to consider along with all the other information you have about your business. 
And so just fast, uh, quick turn surveys that are mobile friendly and things like that are important. One usage case that I'm seeing a lot is um, in context research. So especially for anyone who's selling things like in a grocery store, um, there's some pretty cool technology now where you'll send people on a mobile journey. And so they'll take their phone, they'll walk into the store and they'll literally like hold up the phone walking around the store and talk about it. Okay, I'm going this aisle, I'm gonna go to this section, I'm gonna look over here. And they just walk through their experience. And that alone is incredibly insightful for companies. Cause you're like, wait a minute, are they looking for the brand first? Are they looking at the, the price? Like which part of our package? I mean, I've worked on companies, you know, with companies before where they're like, oh yeah, everyone knows about our 5X, you know, stain removal power or something like that. And it turns out when people go in there, all they notice is that your bottles are one color and the other bottles are a different color, right? <laughs> and so like having that understanding is just really important when you're designing packaging, you're thinking about new product development. So um, that's another use case I've seen where it used to be if you brought a phone and a camera into a store, people would freak out. I mean, literally they would like send the security and ask you to leave, like all sorts of issues. And now it's pretty normal to be on your phone all the time. And so this idea of getting in context research, not just for in stores, but you know, whether you're um, doing things around the house or at work or anything else, getting context, what is actually happening as they're using a product to service is much easier now than it's ever been before. I had never actually considered that, but I imagine the backlash if a store actually said, oh, you need to put your phone away. Now, especially, yeah, right? Now, well, yeah. And, and most stores, they're, they're incentivizing, right? Almost all of them have some sort of online mobile reward program or incentive, you know, incentivization thing where you need your phone. So I think it's very normal. And it was not that way even just three to five years ago. Last question. What is your personal motto? Yeah, so there's this uh, great quote um, from the Bible at, that I grew up with, where where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I've interpreted that to mean that you know whatever is most important to you, that's what you're going to be thinking about. That's what's going to be in your heart. And so I feel like as anyone who goes through life, there's periods of time where what you think and what you spend your time on doesn't really reflect maybe what you should be thinking about what's really important to you. And, and so making sure to have that sync of how am, am I spending my time? How am I, um, what am I thinking about? And is that really focused on the most important stuff for me? My guest today has been Stephen Griffith, Director of Insights at Level 2. Stephen, thank you very much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Glad to be here. Everyone else, screen capture. I just got a new batch of t-shirts, FYI. So screen capture, if you tag me on LinkedIn or Twitter with that image, then I will send you a free t-shirt. Have a good rest of your day.